about the fact that somebody from church is showing up, I think that's a good thing. I think it opens people up and it allows God to minister to them. And as we do that, in those bottles, we had invites for Easter. So I want to encourage you in some things for next week and ask some things of you. Um, if you're visiting today, you can skip this part. If you consider this your home, this is for you. Because I consider you just as important as the message next week or the music next week. And you have a part to play. And sometimes you guys don't really believe this, that I believe this, but I really, really do. That you being in the seat, you being a part of service is more life-changing for somebody sitting next to you than you can imagine. So I'm going to ask three things of you. First thing is that you pray. Pray for the service. Pray for the people you're inviting. Pray for um, lives to be changed. The second thing, obviously, if you're going to pray for somebody to invite, the second thing you should do is invite somebody. And I want to encourage you. Get the easy. Get the low-hanging fruit, right? Moms, dads, family. They'll, all, they'll come because you invited them to Easter. But you know what? There's other people who maybe don't have a family member to invite them. And statistics will show like 70 to 80% of people will come if you just keep asking. So you got about a week, start asking. And they tell you no, push reset and revisit it the next day. Here's the third thing. I need you to participate. And what do I mean by participate? I mean from the moment you step foot on the property, you should be what God says you are, the happiest people on earth. Forget Walt Disney. We got believers, right? And we're laughing, but the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is in us. And I need you to look like it. I need you to act like it. And for some of you, mainly you fellas, I need you to smell like it. <laughs> do whatever you got to do to come with joy. Come participate. Greet people. We're going to have extra greeters, extra people out there. Um, last year, we parked um, way off into the field. So if you don't like to walk, get here early because um, we're going to be full. When you come into service, for those of you who can sing, sing louder. For those of you who can't sing, no, sing louder. Because I want pe we want people to see that we really are acting out what we believe. We really do love Jesus, and we really are celebrating the fact that he came and died for me. That we're not a perfect people singing at perfect pitch, but we're a, we're a wounded, hurting people who are just further along in the recovery process than they are. The same kind of people serving a perfect God. So I need you to pray. I need you to invite, and I need you to participate. Participate in the message. I expect better amens next week no matter what I say. It's big amens, right? It's like the comedians pre-warming the, you know, they're really not that funny. They just warm the audience up to laugh. So I'm, I'm warming you up now. It's for next week to participate, that we want people to feel life as they feel and experience the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to dive into our series. We're rolling into the Saturday of Passion Week, but I wanted to remind you why it's important and why we're doing it, because in the Bible, the first 30 years of Jesus' life got four chapters in the Gospels. The last week of Jesus' life actually has 29 combined chapters in the Bible. I think God's trying to tell us something about that last week and about how important it is. 
Last week, we talked about the Friday of crucifixion. That what we call Good Friday wasn't good for God. That the disciples, I don't think, got the significance of what Jesus was doing. That he had to complete the work. That his life was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down. And then today, we're going to talk about, the Bible tells us on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning is Easter. But there's not a whole lot of verses And you see a verse about Easter Sunday and about resurrection. But the Saturday of Passion Week, there's not a whole lot of verses. There are some. But all four Gospels give us this one set of verses. We're going to read it out of Luke's Luke's portion of it. It says in Luke 23, verse 50, Now there was a man named Joseph. This is not Joseph as in related to Jesus. A member of the council. In other words, these are the people that voted to crucify Jesus and to take action. He was a good man. He was an upright man who had not agreed or consented with the decision and action. It gives to where he came from, Judea and a town of Arimathea, and he himself was, and this is important, he was waiting. See, they were all waiting. They just didn't understand what they were waiting for. And that waiting, that word's important. In verse 51, or 52, sorry. He, he's the one who went to Pilate after Jesus was, was dead and asked him, can I go bury Jesus? It says he then took the body down, prepared it, wrapped it in linen, put it in a tomb, cut in rock. This version doesn't tell us this, but one of the other Gospels actually tells us that the grave he was put in was Joseph's grave. Because at that time, if you had money and you were of status, they would go into a cave and if you've ever seen pictures or maybe you've been blessed to be there, you can actually go in the, the, the cave, the chiseled out stone um, grave where they laid Jesus. Most people believe it was Joseph's, that he then took Jesus and put him in his own place, put him in his grave. Then they put a rock over it to keep people out. And here's the verse we're going to lay on today in verse 54. And then he said, and Luke tells us, and notice it's capitalized. It was preparation day. Preparation for what? For the Sabbath. Because the preparation day, it was preparation day and the Sabbath was coming next and it was about to begin. You see, they could not, by their own Jewish law, do anything once the Sabbath started. They couldn't work. And so they had to get Jesus and they had to get Jesus' body down and get him taken care of. And so this is what Joseph did. The Bible tells us that the ladies watched this happening. They actually were going to come prepare Jesus' body and, uh, and anoint it with spices, as was their custom. But by the time they got done and ready, technically the Sabbath had started. And the question becomes, what happens on Saturday? Because we have the pain of Friday, the pain of Jesus being murdered, executed, tortured, And then there's this gap that they all sat. It said Joseph was waiting. He was waiting for what's coming between the pain of Friday and the promise that was coming on Sunday. And a lot of us as as Christians, if you're not saved and this is new to you, then you probably still know the struggle. A lot of us do well on, on getting through pain because we can look at Sunday. You go through a procedure, you're going through a diet, you're losing weight, you're giving up all this good stuff because you know there's an end. 
And you're moving toward that. But what we forget and where I think we struggle and where the disciples and the people that were waiting on Jesus to struggle, struggled is they forgot this. That there's always a space, there's a gap between the pain and the promise. Right? Y'all with me today? Anybody remember as a little kid, your parents would promise you something? We're going to go get candy today. But it's only 8 o'clock in the morning. What did the, what, as a child, what do you think? Who cares what time it is? You just said candy, let's go. Right? It's time to go. No, that's going that's to come later. Or we all do it. I heard it yesterday with the family I was talking to. They were telling their kids, hey, if you, go, if you behave now, you'll get to do fun things when? Later. Tomorrow. Right? But see, that's not what God's doing. He's not telling us like, he's saying there's a process. And Jesus on Saturday, I'll show you this in a minute. And maybe this is kind of a new, a new view. It's not new, but it's, I never really taught it this way. But I do believe this, that Saturday was, Jesus was not tortured in the grave. And I'll explain to you why, why I think that in a minute. But see, we, all, we have come from this culture that is this microwave culture. Anybody old enough to remember pre-microwave? Like, if you wanted popcorn, what'd you have to do? And then it just always burned, and then the house stinks, right? And then the magic of, I can remember telling my parents, like, I want this to eat. And they shove it into the microwave, and it's like, and then everything changed. You can microwave anything. Somehow they can even take bread and put it in the microwave, and it comes out crispy. So we went through the microwave culture. Then we, now what I believe and this is hurting us in the waiting, is that now we have what I just called it the click culture. Like I can remember, I've been, I've been in Sylvania 23 years. And I can remember the discussion was, oh, I got to go get something. I got to go over Statesboro because Walmart or Statesboro is the only place that has it. Right? And you had to make a trip. Now we just do what? And one of John Bolton's fine postal delivery people will show up at your door the next day, or UPS, FedEx, whoever they are. They'll sh here it is, right? Click, it's here. I want it now. Click, it's here. I need information. Click, it's now. A lot of bad stuff you think you need, you don't need. Click, get it now. So we live in this click culture. But see, the Bible is very clear about, about Jesus. That there was this... <laughs> he, he descended, and that now he's there doing something. What do we do? You see, the, the Jewish, again, were getting ready for Sabbath, and Sabbath just simply means a day of rest. It actually literally translates to mean um, to cease from all work, to cease from labors. And they believed, and they lived that every day, every week, they took one day, and the Bible teaches it over and over, that was just dedicated to God, that he rested. The Bible tells us in the seven days of creation that Jesus or that God rested. So how do we deal with this space that's between the promise, the promise, excuse me, and the pain and promise? Because I, I can guarantee you right now, some of us in this room are in that middle space. Does anybody else know what that feels like? Like you, you've been through the event, now you're kind of in this middle space going, okay, God, I really need you to show up. Okay, God, this is, I know you're coming, I believe you. But what do I do? 
You need to know that God's working, even when it seems like nothing's happening. You know, there's different, there's different theological opinions, and people will give you different ideas of what actually happened. The Bible doesn't really say exactly what happened when Jesus was in hell, when he went there. But I truly believe that when Jesus on the cross, he breathed his last breath and he said what? It is finished. To me, Jesus is a a man of his word. God is a God of promise. When he said it's finished, I think because he had the weight of the world, the weight of our sin, the weight of our mess on him, when he said it's finished, it's finished. Then the Bible said, into, my hand, into your hands, God, I commit myself. There's no biblical evidence at all that Jesus, while his body was in the grave, he was, the Bible says, descended to, the, to hell. There's no evidence that Jesus was tortured or in pain or, or suffered. But I think... And our world doesn't like this because when we see a picture of Jesus, we see this little scrawny, kind of not manly man of, a, of an image. But I think Jesus descended into hell and did one of the SWAT teams. Just kicked the door in, right? I don't think he's like, okay, okay yeah, I'm going to tell you a few things. No, I think he came in and said, I'm here to... to fulfill what God sent me to do. I can show it to you in Scripture. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes this. It says, He also descended into the lower earthly regions. Translated out, he's talking about hell. You look in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19 says, For also Christ suffered once for sins. Right? So if he suffered here, how many of you agree he suffered? If you don't, you need to go back and listen or just watch the Passion of Christ. He suffered. He was brutally tortured. Then he's not going to go to hell and suffer again. He suffered for us to bring us to God. So he was put to death so we wouldn't have to be. But he was made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19. After being made alive, he went and made the proclamation. And this is a good verse. To the imprisoned spirits. In other words, the people who were already there. And he said to them, It's over. I got you. Colossians chapter 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. All the demons and the devil's little minions and all the things that had set themselves against God, Jesus said, he went and kicked the door in and said, hey, I can do this because I just did this. I can be here in hell because I just gave my life on the cross. And Jesus showed up with some authority and power. Let me give you another one. If you remember in the book of Revelation, the Bible's new to you basically at the end when it tells us we won. Jesus gave the book of Revelations to some, you hear him called John the Revelator. John on the Isle of Patmos, and he, he basically started talking to him. So he could see into heaven and he showed him a bunch of stuff. And this is what John writes in, in Revelation 1. So when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. In other words, if Jesus showed up in the room, how many of you would say you'd at least pucker up a little bit? Right? Really what's going to happen if Jesus showed up in the room, we're all going to lay face down on the floor and like, look, you know, I can't even look at that because it's the perfect image of our Savior. So it goes on to say, 
But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. And this is the key. I am the first and the last. Remember what the Bible says in other places. It says, I am the alpha and the omega. In other words, he's the beginning and the end. Well, if he's the beginning and he's the end, he's also the what? He's in between. He's the middle. But we, we teach it. Don't worry, just hang in there, just hang in there, hang in there. He's the beginning and the end, and you're just on your own for the middle. That is such a crock. He's not gone in the middle. He just doesn't disappear and wait for the end to show up. See, I believe Jesus not only went into hell, and the Bible says that different versions say it differently, but he, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And that was for eternity. But I believe he also didn't take them just for eternity. He took them for here. Because if he died for our sickness and to make us healthy... Why would he just tell us it was for heaven? Because I believe, and I confess that you hear me say this all the time about my daughter Emma. We stay over her. She is healthy and whole and complete, right? Well, were we just talking only about heaven? No. We're talking about here, too. We're talking about here and now. He was, Jesus was doing something when he was in the grave. His body was there. He was fighting for us. And the Bible tells us about it quite a bit, that even now, he fights for us. In the Old Testament, in the book of, in the book of Daniel, we're going to skip down to that. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel is praying, and the Lord comes to him and tells him, Hey, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day, you decided to change. You decided to follow me. You decided, God, I can't do this anymore on my own. I'm going to follow you. Sound familiar to a lot of us? Since that first day, you set your mind to understand. You begin to humble yourself before God. Your words were, say it with me, your words were heard. Anybody ever said and asked God, God, can you even hear me? I'm the only one? Regularly, sometimes you feel like, God, can you even hear me? Do you even remember, hey, I live in Sylvania. Like, I know it's hard to find on the map, but come on now, right? God, do you hear me? And in the next verse, the angels of the Lord, God said, hey, and I've come in response to them. To what's them? Your words. Then he goes on and says, hey, but the prince of Persian kingdom, that's a, Analogy in the Old Testament talking about the devil and all his army. But the devil resisted me for 21 days. There's some time in between the pain and the promise. Then it said one of them, Michael. Michael was one of the three named angels. Michael was the warring angel. He's the one who went to kick tail and take names on behalf of God. It says, then Michael came and he came to help me. In the next few minutes, the next 15 or so minutes, this is what I want to tell you. That Saturday tells us something. The Saturday of Passion Week tells us something. That while we are, we are waiting, Jesus is still fighting for us. Amen. Yes, Jesus has done, did die, has returned, did this stuff. It's done. Yes, he is coming. It's future. But we lose sight of the fact that right now, while you're in the nasty now and now, in that gap in, the, in between, the Bible says, I'm still fighting. 
The Bible also tells us that you have a real enemy that is fighting against God. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to get you to step out of your faith. He's trying to get, maybe some of you, faith is new, and he's trying to convince you that you're crazy. The Bible says the devil is fighting against us. So you need to know, if you hear anything today, you need to hear this. Never stop fighting. Don't give up. This can come from a very personal place for Melanie and I. Because there are lots of times that we've thought, I just, I'm done. Like, okay, this is the way life is going to be, and I'm done. But it's just not what God asked for us. He says, keep fighting. You see, our waiting as Christians is this, that we wait patiently. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This one for me, I have no moral ground to stand up here and talk about patience because that is not me. My wife, on the other hand, she is very patient. She's very patient with my girls. It takes me that fast to go from zero to 100. It takes her a whole lot longer. Why? Because she's patient. She's patient with people. She's pa- I'm not. But with God, the Bible says that we wait patiently. We don't act like some of us did as kids. Like now, like now, are we here? Are we here? Are we come, come on now, now, mom, now, mom. Anybody heard that in the back seat? Like, no, son, we're not even out of the driveway yet. I know, but are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Emma, bless her heart, before we even get out of our driveway going somewhere, she's like, are we coming home yet? When are we coming home? Are we coming home? Are we coming home? At, at lunch, she's asking about dinner. At dinner, she's asking about breakfast. Patience has no translation to Emma. And therefore, it has none to me either because she drives me up the wall. The Bible says you wait patiently. See, we need not to just be waiting and trusting in faith, but we're also fighting. But fighting forward, fighting our way doesn't mean we get impatient. And I hate to bust some of you's bubble, but this is the truth. God's not in a hurry. I wish he was. There's some things we've been praying for as a church and with staff and board and elders and all. We've been praying towards some things, and I wish he was in a hurry. But look what the Bible talks about Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation. It said, then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. He had to wait. If you don't know the story of Abraham... Abram, the Bible says that God went to him and said, hey, you're going to be the father of the Jewish nations. You're going to have have more family than there is sand on the beach. And then somewhere in the mix, Abram got impatient. He sent his... (laughs) He got impatient. (laughs) And we're still dealing with the effects of that today. If you trace it back through the Jewish religion and, and fighting with the Muslims and all, we're still dealing with it today. Then he got convicted, he basically repented, and God said, okay, now I'm going to give you that promise. He waited 100 plus years for God to say, now I'm going to give you that son, but now you and your wife are over 100, so now there's going to be no doubt when she has a baby, it was not you, it was me. Because your physical body had to do it, couldn't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. Because, you see, the same thing that was true for Moses and his wife is true for us. When something is happening to you, we're going through something. God is trying to do something in you. Something's happening to you. 
God can teach you and bring something. Now, is God doing it to you? Let me be very clear. God did not make you sick. God did not hurt your loved one. God did not hurt your relationships. Those are the things that the devil has, that the devil's come after us, and life becomes difficult. But the Bible says he works all things out for the good of those who love him. So if I can, if I, can I just say it like I'm thinking it? Sometimes this gets me in trouble, but I'm going to take Sometimes we're standing in the poo. I remember as a kid that had a cow pasture behind my house, and I remember one time jumping over the fence and as a little boy, and I landed and landed in what must have been the biggest cow on earth pad. And I remember my buddies telling me, well, you're just going to stay in there? You're going to get out of it. Seemingly a most brilliant statement ever. See, sometimes we step in it. Sometimes it's, it's the devil. A lot of times, if we're honest, we don't need the devil's help. We can, we can find the biggest pile of poo in the county, and we don't need the devil's help to just dive right in the middle of it. Right? I know I'm right because I've seen y'all's Facebook posts. <laughs> biggest pile of poo in the county scrolls across your screen. And you just dive right in. And then we wonder why we were tagged with it. Why, why do they think that about me? Because you jumped in. But here's the, here's the gracious, wonderful truth of what you need to hear today. When we do that, even in that, the Bible says God can work that out for your good. God can teach you something. God can help you take your one step forward so that you learn from that. So God is not in a hurry. Abraham waited patiently. God's doing something in you when something is happening to you. The Bible tells us in James, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, has a chance to do something, has a chance to move you forward. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that it produces something. It produces perseverance. And in the next verse, perseverance produces character. And character produces, say it with me, produces, one more time, produces. I don't know about you guys, but even in the last couple months, I, I need a boatload of that. I need like the dump truck to back up at the front door and dump it. Like, I need a, a lot of hope. It's just been some struggles that I've gone through. Like God, is there an end? But our, the faith of what Jesus is doing on Saturday, not only do we wait patiently, we wait with hope. The Bible tells us even as those who grieve when you've lost someone. I want to say a quick hello and shout out to um, Eric, Gina Tinsley. Eric's in North Carolina this week. Um, Gina was supposed to sing with us this morning. Eric lost his mother this week, so he's there being with the family. But even Eric said to me, we don't do this like other people. We don't grieve and have funerals and, and go through this horrible time, the pain, because we understand the promise. But when the middle, because we, the Bible even tells us that we grieve differently. Why? Because we grieve as people who have hope. We grieve as people who know what the promise is. And that's where we're going. Romans 15, 13 says that I pray that God, the source of hope. This is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, is telling you this. 
that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy. Remember on Easter next week, you're going to come completely. You got no excuse, no angry faces, no mean faces. We're all happy and excited, and we're going to celebrate Jesus. And the, here's your verse. He filled you complete with joy. Why? Because you trust him. And when you do trust him, here's where you affect other people's lives. Because now you not only have joy, you got extra. You got extra to give away. You got extra to demonstrate to people. Then you will trust, you will overflow confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you hear anything today for Saturday, it's this. Don't give up. Don't give up inviting people. Don't give up on your walk. Don't give up in the things that are opposing you. The Bible says Jesus is not just taking Saturday off, hanging out, waiting to come back on Sunday. The Bible is clear that he's fighting for us. That our waiting is a wait with hope. That we don't give up. Paul even writes this in Galatians and says, don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time. In other words, God doesn't operate on your clock. He doesn't jump when you say jump. He, it, the Bible says God's ordered time and he moves when he's ready and when his infinite wisdom says it's time. At just the right time, he said, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing. If what? If we don't give up. I tell you, one of the saddest things I, as a pastor, the Bible says that I feel like, it doesn't feel like, I know that I have to answer for every dollar that comes in front of me and every soul that walks through this door. And I don't want to be standing in heaven when Jesus returns and takes us all and seeing people and knowing they were that close. They got right up to it, not knowing what the next day held, and then decided, I give up. Not knowing that the next day the promise showed up. Not knowing that the next day... I heard a story years ago, and I wish I could remember the details, but it was essentially that with a man who was sick who got a, like a cancer diagnosis. And in a matter of months, he went home and he convinced himself that he was going to die because they told him he was going to die. He went home and ended his life. And in the autopsy, they find out the doctors were wrong. All they could say was wrong. The doctors actually said, I don't think I was wrong. I think it was a miracle and I can't explain it. You were right there. If you, in the room, look, look me in the eyes, listen to me. Online, listen. I beg you. When you're fighting, don't give up. Amen. Keep fighting. That even the nastiness of nasty of nasty nasty, the big cow patty, Right in the middle of it. Life's that way. Your relationship's that way. Your finances that way. Your car's broke. Your lawnmower's broke. The microwave quit. The oven doesn't work. Every light bulb in your house has gone out. Whatever it is, the Bible says keep fighting because I'm fighting for you. Don't give up. You just have to hear me. Don't give up. Now, there's the waiting side. But Jesus was in, in the pits of hell doing what for us? Fighting. One version of the Bible actually says he was warring. I don't know about you, but warring doesn't sound to me like it's just something like he was just kind of shadow boxing a little bit. Warring means he's fighting for me. 
I gave you two about waiting. As we close, I'm going to give you two about fighting. That we fight consistently. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and do your thing. We fight consistently. In other words, we don't quit. We, we get up in the morning and go, God, I need, you to, I, I need you to fight. You're fighting for me. I'm going to fight to get to you. Ephesians 6, 14, Paul says this before he tells you to put on your armor of God. He says, stand your ground. Don't fold. Stand your ground. Many times in life, and I, I live further out in the country now, so my, neighbor, my former neighbors in Sylvan Heights probably think I was crazy because every now and then I'd fling my front door open when I'd had enough, when my girls were sick, my wife was sick, my family was being attacked, and everything just came crashing down. I'd stand at the front door, throw it open, and just tell the devil, get out. The Bible says that I have authority over you because of what Jesus did for me. Now just leave. You can believe it or not. But if you get to the place where you feel like you've got no other choice, then you've got to keep fighting. You're going to have to stand your ground. You see, prayer is not just a conversation with God. Prayer is also you standing your ground. Why? Because you're reminding the devil what his future is. You're reminding yourself, I will be healthy. I will be whole. I will stand again. I will, my life will be complete. My family will be healed. My kids are coming back to church. Right? Instead of just laying there and going, okay, God, I'm just going to wait. You're not waiting. You're, you're giving up. So you wait patiently, but you still fight. Prayer is standing your ground. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in, a, in this world, we don't fight like other people do. We don't attack each other and we don't go after each other because you're not the problem. The, the problem is there's the devil. And it says in the next verse, the weapons we fight with are not of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Big spiritual word. Well, that's just simply this. A stronghold is simply something that the devil's convinced you is true, but God says otherwise. You're going to die. Nope, God says otherwise. You're going to fail. Nope, God says otherwise. Your marriage can never be restored. Nope, the Bible says otherwise. My kids are never going to love me again. They're never coming back to church. They're running from God. I'll never see them again. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. Why? Because it's a stronghold. And the God, the God of the universe, your creator, is the one who's got the stronghold. Not the devil. It says we demolished every argument, every pretension, everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, which pretty much is the world today. Because you stand and say this in a public space, I'm right now online saying it, there are people who are just going to laugh and go, cancel. Right? You stand, they stand up against the knowledge of God that we take captive those thoughts. And the Bible says you can make it obedient to Christ. But what does that mean for us? That means we can fight confidently. We not only fight continually, we fight confidently. Anybody ever met somebody? I used to, and I, well, I'm only 5'10, so it's not like I'm a really big guy, but we had a little guy on our football team in high school, and he had the little man syndrome. Anybody ever met somebody like that? Amen. Guy weighed a buck 20, and he was insistent. I'm, he's playing nose guard. You know anything about football? That's where the big guys play. And you at least better be fast if you're not big. And he was neither, he was slow and small, but he was determined, he was confident. And I watched that little 120-pound kid 
wear kids out that literally outweighed him by two and a half times. He would take out their ankles, bang on their knees, and he would just destroy people. Why? Because he did it confidently. And he did it continually. But he did it with confidence. Some of you need to quit worrying about how big you feel spiritually, how religious you think you are, because this is not about religion. This is about relationship. Some of you need to quit saying, well, I don't know enough Bible. You can learn the Bible, but I'm telling you enough today that you continually and can confidently say, God, you're fighting for me. I'm fighting with you. This is going to work itself out. My healing is coming. My restoration is coming. My kids are coming home. God, because I'm, I'm confident in that. Paul writes in Philippians 2, he says, He humbled himself in obedience to God, this is all about Jesus, and died a criminal's death on the cross. And therefore, God elevated him. God elevated him, his name above all, all other names. You know, there's this song we sing. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing can compare with him. The name of... Come on, sing that, Shay. What a beautiful name it is. And the Bible tells us that God gave him the name above every name. In the next verse, it says that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And look at this last line. I love this part. I told you Jesus was kicking butt and taking names in heaven and earth and under the earth. You think God can't see your mess. You think God doesn't know about your mess. But Jesus said, not only know your mess, I went and stood in it, cleaned it up for you, made it clean as ever, and came back to tell you how right it is. Because the, some of you need to know this, this morning that the name of Jesus is bigger than your mess. It'll get you out of your cow pie. It'll get you out of the depression, the hurt, the anger, the rejection.